Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fans Eye View, your footy podcast made by fans for fans, presented to you by Footy Live, TLA, and Sportsmate Mobile. And we'd like to be honest on this show, honest, and fans that hold themselves to account. Nick? Yeah. And on this pod last week, I said that Anzac Day wasn't the best game in the year, and I was wrong. <laughs> 95,179 people turned up to Anzac Day in glorious sun. Record they paid crowd. their respects. They saw a game that was as thrilling as any game we've seen, and they produced the second highest home away game in the history of this great sport. Mm. Uh, and that was previously set in 1958 when, like, the MCG had no, like, health and safety laws. So yeah. the biggest home away crowd ever, the best Anzac Day game ever, arguably one of the best home away games of all time. And, uh, of course, Anzac Day, Collingwood and Eston take their mantle. The, the Anzac Day Eve game was totally fun as well, but it definitely was not uh, yeah. the spectacle of the year. So now we move on to where uh, we take a deep breath. We don't have any Thursday night football to talk about. We move on to round seven and we've got some top of the table clashes and we've got a lot of games that if you're a bit knackered from footy being on basically every day for the last <laughs> two weeks, you can skip You can skip them this week. You can have a little weekend off. But uh, with Definitely. me as always is Nikki G to talk about all things football. But the first thing I'll ask you without any notice whatsoever, uh-huh. did Charlie Cameron kick goal of the year? The Gunston pocket. And Gustin collects it off hands this time. Charlie Cameron, did he get a toe on that? Well done, it Cameron. would be a miracle goal from Charlie. Yes, and he meant it. Absolutely, he meant it. That was pretty remarkable, actually. Um, you must have watched a lot of World Cup last year because oh. that was mighty skillful. Um, and, yeah, people saying he didn't mean it. I, I think he did. He, he left. He, he flung his foot out. He got a boot onto it. And when he went in, when it went in, he was the first one to raise his hand. So credit to him. He had a, um, an unbelievable game. Uh, his personal best. Was it seven goals? Seven, yep, eight seven, goals? Seven goals. Seven equal, goals. Equal could have been, yeah, been, 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 been eight or nine. Yeah. Easy. Um, so, yeah, he was unbelievable on the weekend. There we go. So that's our question without notice. You've handled that with absolute aplomb. Doubled up, though. Obviously, you know, everyone now knows that you work on the weekends in the, the uh, mainstream <sighs> media. Uh, is it important to compare uh, a feat like that Mm. to uh, whatever international soccer players or football players that you know. So obviously I think Channel 7 or Fox Footy might have been, whoever had the broadcast went with uh, Mbappe. Didn't quite nail the uh, pronunciation of either the club that he plays for or the person's name. Um, but who would you say he would most remind you of if you had to compare him, as is oh, obligatory in the mainstream media, goodness to, a, gracious. to um, an international footballer? International footballer. I'm going to, geez. Oh, who's, who's got the most flair? Who, who scores? Mohamed Salah. That would yeah. be a, a goal that he would score. Or if we go further back, maybe a Maradona. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd probably, yeah, I guess Mbappe would be capable of that, but I think the commentator just went with the first name that came to his mind. Yes, which often you do as a commentator. We're going to jump into the media watch, and uh, they're getting stuck into how great Dacos is. Mm. So, uh, obviously, Mr. Dacos, he won the uh, Anzac Day medal. Yeah, uh, he had quite a nice speech for a 20-year-old. Uh, and now everyone is just basically like, Dacos is the GOAT. I asked you on Monday, uh, you know, did he deserve it? You're like, absolutely. He's going to win the Brownlow. And so, Nick, mm. is yes. he actually the young GOAT? Is he the best young player we have ever seen in the history of this game? 
I mean, he's had the best start to a career I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, a lot of people throw up Chris Jard around. Uh, yes, he won the Brownlow in his third year, but Dacos right now would be leading the Brownlow. So as far as first 30 games go, I can't recall a player ever getting as many 30 and 40 possession games as consistently as what he does. And I'm not going down that road that they're um, cheap, cheap and uncontested. And that's yeah. it. Um, I think that's all rubbish. He's elite. He won that game for Collingwood in the last quarter. There were a lot of plays that stood up, but he kicked those two goals when a lot of people about at halftime were saying that he was having a, uh, wasn't having that much impact. So he silenced a lot of his critics. And yeah, that's a that's another three vote game for him on Anzac Day, and obviously he got the medal as well. So he'll be racking up a lot of those uh, individual awards in years to come. Yeah, so it's very funny um, how you know one week it's all cheap possessions, and then the next week he turns a game on its head and is part of a seven goal to none in the final quarter. And mm. all of a sudden, having a guy on a halfback who can you know kick the ball into dangerous spots and is elite by foot, makes great decisions, can eject himself into the midfield and into the front half of the field, uh, all of a sudden comes to be quite you know um, mm. revered and, and and wanted by many fans. Of across the competition. So yep. Dacos, definitely having a great start to the year. Is he the young goat? I don't know about that. Well, but who would you have there? I'd say it's hard to beat Chris Judd. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose the, the issue is that that is obviously tainted because then he went on to be, a, you know, dual Brownlow medalist, mm. Norm Smith, premierships. <laughs> So like it's like everyone's yeah. like, oh, he was so good when he was young, but also we're thinking about how good he was for his entire career, whereas yeah. Dacos has 30 games for his name. Yeah. So, of course, he's not as good as Chris Judd's whole career. No, could be, I'm not saying it, it is. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm saying, not saying that. Yeah. I think that's why people get frustrated. They're kind of like, well, he hasn't actually proven himself yet. Well, he doesn't have to. He's played 30 games. That's what he's done in 30 and games. And that's what I'm judging him on, That's what he's judging him on, yeah. So yeah. It, it could have been the, you know, another one there might be Bond as well. Yes, but again, I don't think his first 30 games, whereas he didn't produce consistently this many high disposal games. Yeah. Same with Judd. Like, Judd was good. He, he was good right from the beginning, but he was getting some games 15, 20 disposals, not 38, 36, 42. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what I'm going off. But, yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> if this can continue, but um, it's looking pretty likely that it will. Yes, and so historians of the game who are listening to this episode, let us know who you think uh, is the young GOAT, the young greatest player of all time. Um, you know, we'll cap it at the first two years of their season. Forget the uh, 22 under 22. We want to know the two under two. Who are your top two with two years or less? And uh, my next question is also about Collingwood, and it's a deep one. As we said, we're by the fans, for the fans, and this is a fans-eyed question. As, is Collingwood too likeable now? They, Darcy Darcy Moore came out as the winning captain. He was very yeah, humble. He had a very great good. speech. He acknowledged all the stakeholders that were involved in the Anzac movement. And I was kind of like, oh, this guy was really, really nice. I know. You, you want to hate them, but you just can't. You try and nitpick little things like Dacos getting cheap possessions and stuff like that, but then they just they, they keep responding and keep showing you there's, there's nothing to really hate them on. And it feels a bit weird, doesn't it? Their fans uh, are still gross, which is nice. Like, yeah. Like, that mean, doesn't change. Did, did you see the... Uh, Except the, for Swoop Luke, of course, oh, who'll be cool. joining us later on in the yeah. show. 
And yeah. again, Collingwood fans are, are gross in their own unique way, and like, you have a couple in the office, and they're not gross people outright. It's just that you know they get a little bit carried away. But um, one boy who did get carried away—I don't know if you saw the video—but there was a uh, trying to hold the ball out for the Essendon player, and he drops oh, on his feet yes. and gives them the triple cobras. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, I actually quite like that. It just shows that Collingwood hasn't lost their their roots. No, that of course. Just just when we thought they were getting too likable, that lowered them a little bit, and yeah, I, I don't really like that either. I don't know. No, it's not. It's not. It's not social behavior at all. It is kind of funny in isolation. Yeah, and is. the goal was kicked, and he was told that he was a bit of an idiot. <laughs> and uh, life goes on. You know, exactly that's right. Just another afternoon at the football. And who? Yeah. Someone else who had a great afternoon at the football is indeed, as Nick said, Swoop Luke, who you had the pleasure of chatting to this morning. I did. So uh, we'll jump to that chat right now. Joining us on the line now to have a chat about the game from Anzac Days, Collingwood's number one fan and a friend of the Footy Live app, the one and only Swoop Luke. Mate, it is great to have you back on. You must be one happy Collingwood supporter right now. You've got the scarf and the Guernsey on. My first question <laughs> to you, Luke, is is the lid off? Because you guys are flying at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. First off, thanks for thanks for having me on. But uh, yeah, look, um, the lid is is slowly start to slowly starting to peel back. It's not um it's not fully off yet, but I can. It, there's some air escaping from it, and um, a couple more wins, and uh, it'll it'll pop off definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was a mighty four quarter effort from your boys on Tuesday. Um, but what, yep. I want to talk about the game because you guys, oh, like. Biggest crowd ever for Anzac Day, first yep. of all. Um, and you were there, I, I assume. Um, yes, yep. What was it like, the atmosphere? Obviously, Anzac Days are always special, but um, record crowd. Um, it, it was loud. You could see that from the TV. Yeah. What was, what was it like being there and witnessing that? Yeah, look, um, Anzac Day is is such a special occasion, not only for the football, obviously, but for um, – for, for what it represents to, to all of Australia and, and New Zealand uh, and, and just being there. Yeah. The biggest Anzac Day crowd, second biggest home and away crowd um, since uh, Melbourne Collingwood in the fifties or something like that. But it was just so, so loud. And, you know, credit to the Essendon supporters as well. They were up and about. I was telling some guys at work today that um, that was probably the loudest non Collingwood uh, support that I, that I've that I've heard for for a long time, especially in the third quarter when they started kicking goals. Uh, after that stringer goal, it was just it was deafening, and you thought, you know, well, I thought, Jesus, this is this it's it's intimidating. Like I know how teams feel when the Collingwood chant goes up now because that was that was really really intimidating being up by five goals and and it was yeah all the Essendon supporters were just up and about. It, it was it sends chills down your down your spine really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a Hawthorne supporter, mate, I second that. Every time we go up against Collingwood, Essendon, Carlton, even Richmond, um, yeah, once you let in a few goals on the trot, uh, the place starts to rock. It really does. Um, and, yeah, you, you touched on Essendon getting on a run there in the third quarter. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts at three-quarter time? Obviously, I think the margin was 28 points. Uh, obviously, the Bombers had all the momentum. And just with the, the the state of the Collingwood team right now, the injuries you guys have, Darcy Cameron, Mason Cox, McStay, you're short on tools, Adams uh, wasn't there, how, the list goes on really. What were your thoughts? Were you confident that you guys were could be able to get back into it or uh, did you think it was over? No, I, I I guess with this with this Collingwood side and what um, Craig McRae 
and the other coaches have been able to do, we never say die, right? So, so I thought we would sort of come back and I knew that we were going to fight until the end. That was just a guarantee. But I remember turning to dad for a quarter time and I, I said to him that, you know, we need six goals to win it here and we need at least the first two or three goals. Um, and I, I, I don't think, I won't say here, uh, sit here and say that, yeah, I thought we were going to win. I knew we were going to win. Um, but I knew that we were going to fight until the end. And if it, if it meant that we weren't going to win, I, I was, I was, I knew that we were going to produce something that would have been close to a win, much like the Sydney prelim. Uh, we went down, but we fought right until the end. We didn't let them run over the top of us. And that's what I love about um, these pies. We just, even if we don't win, we are going to fight right until that final siren. And, you know, we kicked seven goals in that last quarter uh, and it was just, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at what moment in that last quarter do you think, right, we're, we're back in this? We're, there, there was a couple of really key moments, the Ginevan goal, the, the Dacos goals, yep. obviously. What moment did you think you were back? Uh, look, on, honestly, I, I thought we were back as soon as Billy Framston went down forward, marked the ball, kicked our first goal. I thought, this is it. This we're, we're right on here. It was, I think it was about two minutes into the quarter or, or maybe a little bit more, but I thought uh, Billy Franson hasn't been, hasn't been marking him all day. We haven't had a good contested mark uh, in the forward line. And as soon as that, as soon as that came off, kicked his first goal for the pies. I thought, that's it. This is, this is going to, this is going to start to roll. And then, you know, we know, we know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You guys came in like a train and it was all led by Nick Dacos as well. Obviously he yep. had a ripping last quarter. Um, oh, gee, I was on Twitter uh, during the game and I think at around half time, <laughs> people were just saying, Oh, he, he's getting disposals, but it's all ineffective. All this rubbish talk. I hate, I hate it. I really do. I'm a yeah. fan of Nick Dacos. And then he just silences everyone, shuts them up, kicks two goals. He just had this yeah. incredible last quarter. This has to be the best start to a career ever. I just, it's it's incredible to watch uh, as a Collingwood supporter and, and like yourself as a as a sort of neutral, just, just watching this kid go about it. 31 games, they're comparing him to, to Chris Judd and different eras and stuff like that. And, and just to quickly touch on the, um, you know, everyone, you know, uncontested possessions, blah, blah, blah. I said in a, a recent video that you wouldn't drive your Porsche through Royal Meadows. So why would you put Nick Dacos in and under the contest? You know what I mean? So he, he's a quarterback. He's he's said he's setting up the ball. He's the best kick in he's the best kick in the in, in our team anyway. Um, but yeah, those those two goals and two really really not not two first quarter goals. There were two really important goals to peg the lead back and then to give us and then to give us the lead. Um, it's just going to be a pleasure watching him for the next you know 10, 12, 13 years. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on, and and you're exactly right. He, he he's not only the best kick in the Collingwood team, probably he's, he's probably one of the best in the AFL, and he's so damaging. The meters gained, like I, I remember when Tom Mitchell, when he was at Hawthorne, he used to cop criticism for ineffective disposals, and maybe there was an argument there at the time because of you know the handballs, and he wasn't getting those meters gained. Probably wasn't at his damaging best. Um, during those days, but yeah, day cost is just a completely different argument. And, and you summed it up really well. You wouldn't want to be driving your Porsche through Meadows at all. I reckon. Do you, do you think? Do you think you'd be leaving the Brownlow right now? I think it'll be either him or actually, it probably will be him. But I think Jeremy Cameron for what for what Cameron's been able to do in a in a Geelong side that's um you know started off the year really slowly. What he's been able to do now. 
uh, is incredible. And he'd probably be equal first, if not probably second. But, um, yeah, Dacos, I think uh, he'd have to be. He'd have to be leading the Brownlow right now. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. I'd actually, I'd like to see a forward win it. Actually, Jeremy Cameron's a very good point. Definitely. Um, 100%. It, it would be between those two right now. Bont would be creeping up, but um, yep. yeah, how good would it be to see a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, however old he is? Uh, is he even 20 years old? I think he may even. I, I, think, I, think he's, I think he's just 20. I think he's just 20. Just 20. That would be incredible. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, like I think Chris Judd, Chris Judd won it in his third season. Um, so I think uh, Dacos winning it in his second. And look, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of games to play out, but it's just you know we're we're taking it week by week, and I'm sure that the team is too. It's just another rung on the on the ladder um, of the season. Could could you have wished for a better start to the season on your your um, five and one, I believe, and uh, obviously got Dacos probably leading the Brownlow race as well. It, it seems to just all be going swimmingly right now. You wouldn't want it any other way. No, it's, um, you know, it's, it's incredible. Five and five and one. So equal first well, and, and second in the ladder, just due to percentage, like, and doing it with a team that has, I think maybe uh, off the top of my head, maybe five or six of their best 23 out. Um, like you like you touched on at the start, no no tools. Billy Frampton, who came in as a key defender, is playing a key ruck role. Um, you know, no Jeremy Howe, McStay coming down. He's he'll be out until you know halfway through the year. So, so to to do what we're doing with a Frankenstein sort of team is um is insane. It, it's just a credit to not only the mentality of next player up, but just of what the coaches are able to do with the magnets on the board. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What was the expectation at the start of the season compared to what it is now? Did you think you'd be at this point? Did you did you see yourself as a premiership contender? I know again there was a lot of talk at the start of the season that Collingwood might not uh, might drop off. They might not be where they were last season. Yep. They may have overachieved, and there was all that chitter chatter. But yeah, it looks like you guys are following up on that now. Yeah, like I um I actually had us when I did my early season um predictions i had a four and one only losing to brisbane um so that was i don't know if that was a just a very lucky guess or or or, or a calculated guess but um yeah look it's 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 where where we are now it's just it's incredible you, you like you said you, you couldn't ask for a better uh a better start to a better start to the season mm, mm. And if you if this is let's be hypothetical here. If the, if the run continues, like I said, there's a lot of games to go. But if, if you're still, you know, top four by the end of the season, where everyone kind of expects you to be now, um, which team would you be worried about the most heading into finals? Is there anyone lurking there that you're worried about? Um, oh, it, it would have to be Geelong. Like that, they're ninth or something on the ladder at the moment, and you know, you can't you can't keep a good team down for for. Uh, for the whole season and they'll come like fire into, you know, August or July, August. Um, and they're a different team in finals Geelong. They are, you know, they've been there. They've been there a lot. Obviously they've, they've got the premiership um, last year, Hawkins, Jeremy Cameron, uh, Mitch Duncan, Dangerfield. They're, they're the only sort of team that I'm genuinely scared of. But in saying that we pushed them twice last season, um, you know, within a kick uh, both, both times. So, um, 
bring it on. You know, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a hell fight. But um, you know, we beat them already this season. So yeah, but but generally they are a different team in finals. Yeah, they certainly are. And Collingwood are also one of those teams that you just wouldn't want to face, particularly at the MCG as well. Um, so, geez, I know it's only round six, but I can't wait for September already. Um, just moving away from the pies and the on-field stuff, um, let's, let's, I just want to cover a couple of topics. First of all, over the last 24 hours, there's been a lot of talk about Tassie, um, obviously getting the funding for their stadium from the federal government. Are you a fan of the Tassie team? Yes or no? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, what would that be the 19th team in the comp? Um, look, um, uh, Tassie deserve, Tassie deserve a team. They're a good footballing, a good footballing state. It's going to, you know, probably mess up I don't really know the ins and outs of it but it'll probably mess up the comp a little bit with you know uh kind of like what GWS and and what happened with the Gold Coast Suns with picks and stuff like that but I think if anything Tassie deserved a team before those two teams um and it, I'm pretty stoked that they're getting one now just need a 20th team to kind of um even it all up yeah yeah totally agree there um yeah the pressure we on the AFL to get a 20th team organized fairly quickly after Tassie gets involved yeah um, and one last question before I let you go, mate. Uh, if you had to change one thing about the game right now, a rule or an interpretation, what's something that's really pissing you off in the in the game right now that you want to change? Um, oh, if, if there's one thing that really, really pisses pisses me off, it's the um, the debacle of the arc system. Like we've got all this money, we've got billions of dollars coming in from um, TV rights and, and stuff like that. Just put another camera on the on the other goalpost. Like I'm sick to death of of saying that it's inconclusive when we're not only um, one of the biggest sports in the world, we're one of the richest sports in the world as well. It doesn't, you know, if I know the EPL is a whole different ball game, but you know, if they're able to determine a goal uh, or a not goal from you know 10 mil on the goal line, we should be able to not not use security camera footage uh, to see if a ball uh, is is touched on the line or not, it, and it, it could decide a grand final. I know, I know, and we we we'll probably get better quality images from our mobile phones as well. It's it is a bit of a problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. I'll let you go, mate. Thank you again for jumping on and giving us a little bit of insight into Anzac Day and the footy. Um, pleasure speaking to you as always, and thanks for supporting the app. No, no worries. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Like I said, uh, I really, really do appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. And uh, yeah, look, I'm a big fan of the app, so um, it's a it's a pleasure. And that sound, that roar, tells you more than I can in a thousand words. Here's the song, the final score: 13, 12, 90 to 11, 11, 77. So great chat there with Sweep Luke. And speaking of uh, fans and informed fans, your club was back in the headlines this week. Yes. Uh, because your yep. captain went out and took a pot shot at a at Tasmania. And then extraordinarily today, you've, you've got the captain of a footy club, which is sponsored by Tasmania, which plays matches in Tasmania, which gets money out of Tasmania, saying this about the future. 
because there's not much happening in there, that would be would be quite difficult. I, I couldn't imagine myself living there as a young fella. So my first question to you is, would you, if you're a footballer getting the football cash, living the high life, <laughs> you know, you've got your you got your dog, you got your partner, you're currently living out, you know, in the uh, in the suburbs of Werribee. Yeah. Uh, would you give it all up for a chance to go play AFL football in Tasmania? Probably not. I mean, like when, when you compare <laughs> when you compare cities, um, I've, I don't know if you've been to Hobart or Launceston. Okay, it's nice. it's nice for a holiday. Yeah, I could never imagine myself living there. Well, I went there with a holiday with my partner, and she was bored in about six hours. Yeah. I mean, you, you oh, see the five days the of holiday. Yep, we did that. Yeah, it's good if you like, if you like to play golf. Plenty yeah. of nice golf if courses. You like to drink wine. Absolutely. You like to eat good food. I, lo- I love Tassie as a state. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, I couldn't live there. No, no way. It, it's a country town. It mm. really is. So unless you've been brought up there, like Geelong, um, you you wouldn't really want to be moving there and staying there for a 10, 15 year career. Mm. And that is my concern with bringing Tasmania in as. As the nineteenth team, I I want to see Tassie have their own team. I also want to see Northern Territory or Canberra make up the twentieth team. I want it to be a fully national competition. But my concern is yes, this the the player retention. If we're struggling to keep twenty year olds on the Gold Coast, where you'd think is perfect for them, can you imagine the issues with Hobart? Um, also, when you bring in. Um, if you bring in Hobart or Tassie as a team, then you need to bring in a 20th team straight away because you're going to have uneven teams. So you almost have to straight away bring in, again, a Northern Territory or a Canberra who are, again, going to have player retention issues. So by that stage of the competition, let's hypothetically say we bring in Tassie and Northern Territory and Gold Coast is still in the competition, GWS is still in the competition. We have these four clubs now who are struggling to keep players and and build any sort of momentum. So I don't know. I don't know, Gordo. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. And then obviously the, the whole chat around Tassie has um, come about in the last 24 hours after the federal government um, came out and said they want to um, lend – X amount of million dollars for this new stadium. I don't even think it's going to be enough. I don't think they're going to have enough. They've estimated the cost to be around seven hundred odd thousand million dollars. Uh, sorry, seven hundred million dollars. Um, but when has ever anyone um, in sport or just regular infrastructure kept to a budget? I don't think. Look, you look at the bloody Westgate Tunnel, for example. They've gone how many millions over budget? Same happens around the world, and the same is going to happen with Hobart. So, yeah, it's going to be challenging. Mm, Absolutely challenging. And suppose so. That's problem one is players won't we want to move to Tasmania and I think uh, Footy Classified pulled out the numbers and said like 3% of the current AFL population in terms of players mm. uh, comes from Tasmania so whilst there is a storied history they are obviously our smallest territory or state and therefore yeah. you know we'll have the smallest percentage of, of players in the in the group and the smallest pool of players to choose from so very tricky that way probably more importantly then is I think what Tassie is banking on is that you have the um 
like the tourism factor, the footy tourism factor. That's why Hawthorne has games there. That's why North has games there. Other clubs have tried it in the past. Do you think as a fan, the fans will travel? Because I think if the fans travel, then the cost part is, 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 is resolved. If people go there to yeah, watch the games or like gather around vibes, go there and just enjoy the city at, whilst also watching the game, then that will be a tick. But would you go for the footy? Hawthorne versus the Tasmanian Devil Cats or whatever I, I would. Yeah. I would because I, I like to travel to see football games. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been to Launceston three or four times, even though I've done the tourist attractions on the first trip. I still went back um, two or three times after that as well. I don't mind going to watch football. Um, and Tassie's a nice spot to go see as well. And it's cheap. Flights are cheap. So um, I don't I don't see why people wouldn't want to go travel. Um it's not like, it, especially for Mel- Melburnians, it's not like it's on the other side of the country like Perth. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't think that'll be too much of an issue, but certainly, uh, yeah, player retention would be right up there. Speaking of player retention, we have our first uh, way too early trade chat around uh, Mr. Himmelberg. Yes. Now, obviously, Very good Giants, Giants, gun, great player. Mm-hmm. Is he pretty good in super coach? Is he, is he a full juggernaut? Does he get across all areas or is he just good at football? When he plays defense, he's good. Yeah. You want him in your team when he's playing in defense, but they've thrown him back forward now, which is his natural position. Um but yeah, the Giants use him at both ends of the ground, and he, he he's he's good at both ends of the ground. He'll kick you a couple of goals. Um, he can take good marks. Obviously, he wins your games of footy like he did against Hawthorne a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, I really like him as a player. And so obviously, you want him in your team at the Super Coach, and obviously, a bunch of clubs want them in their teams too because he is now the hottest yes. free agent on the market. We're not going to sit here and pretend to have the inside scoop. Also, we probably do, but we're going to lose all our friends in the office here, <laughs> so we won't be doing that. But what we will be doing is, if putting you in his shoes as a fan, if you were Himmelberg, would you stay at the Giants? Would you hunt the cash? Or would you hunt a big club? What do you what do you think is the next step in his career if he was to follow this you know career career path of like you know touted talent played plays for a decent team but not much exposure do you go for the cash if it's like North Melbourne said you know millions millions of dollars a year like always throw out that dusty contract or do you go to yeah. a, you know, a Geelong or a Carlton or a well I think if he was to leave GWS he would be going to um, a premiership contender. You wouldn't. He wouldn't want to be going to a North Melbourne or a Hawthorne or anything like that. Why? Why would you? Why would you take a step back for a few extra bucks? I don't think it's worth it. If he's going to be hanging around, lurking around the bottom of the ladder in for, for the next three to five years. And how old is he? He's twenty six, I think. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that'll take him to 30 years old. He'll be looking for premiership success. Staying at the Giants wouldn't be the worst thing um, for that as well. I, I still think, you know, despite the issues they've had this season and over the last couple of years, um, their list is in pretty good shape. They've got some stars, and I certainly wouldn't write them off um, reaching finals this year or in the next three years. So if I was him, I'd probably stay put, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the, the one club you'd be tempted to join would be Collingwood because they will be going after another forward slash defender, um, someone who can do both, a bit like Dan McStay. Um, he'd be tempted by that for mm-hmm. sure. 
And so apparently also there's been nibbles with uh, Sydney and Richmond. Sydney would be an easy move, obviously. You just stay in the same house yes. pretty much. Yep. Uh, and the Tigers. And so secondary question here, another question without notice, my apologies, but are Richmond becoming Carlton 2.0? That is... If you play for the Giants, we'll we'll get you in the uh, in the trade period for probably too much than what you actually are worth. Yeah, it seems like that. Uh, but they don't look. I don't. I don't see why he would go to Richmond. I think Richmond are on the downward spiral. Sorry, Gordo. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't see much point in that. Sydney, absolutely. Um, young list uh, in finals contention. Uh, that that could definitely be a p- potential destination, but yeah, in, in terms of Richmond, I like. I think they made a mistake getting Hopper and Taranto, but that's just me. Um, just it just reeks of a bit like an O'Meara Mitchell situation when Hawthorne were exiting that era, and then they pick up um, two players who they think will help continue uh, their premiership success. Didn't work. Gave up a lot of draft picks for. So Richmond are currently sitting third last on the ladder, and GWS have their first pick in in the upcoming draft. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you, you can call them Carlton in a way, um, in terms of the amount of uh, GWS players they have. Yeah, a little bit like that. And then finally, to round out a little media watch fans' eye view, things outside the uh, the white lines mm. issues of the week is our fixturing. And so our yes. dear friend, Jared Whateley, who we respect and admire greatly, has two bugbears this year. He wants Thursday night football every week, every round. Mm-hmm. Maybe not by rounds, but four rounds of football. And he wants the Sunday first game to start at 12.40 so there's no overlap on Sundays. How do you like about those two uh, suggestions to the fixturing department at the AFL? Thursday night, yes, big tick. I also heard Monday floated around, Monday yeah. night football after obviously the past Anzic week's Day games. Yeah. Yep. I don't agree with Monday, no way. In the bin. Yep, get out of here. It's hard enough waiting for a Sunday night game to come about when your team's playing, let alone Monday night. So big tick for Thursday night, 12.40 on Sunday, no. I think it's just too early. And who really cares about the overlapping? Like the the Monday, uh, the Sunday afternoon games, usually not great fixtures anyway. Mm. So I don't see why we have to start that game half an hour earlier. And it's that real obsession with having like a TV product versus a like actual fan experience at a game. Yeah. And so as a TV product, yeah, if I intend on sitting at the couch from 12 o'clock all the way through to 7 p.m. Mm. on Sunday watching every game back to back, sure, great, makes perfect sense. Mm. But if you're trying to get to the ground, and you have a family, you know, Sundays for some people is is religious ceremonies. It's probably a dwindling population, but it's still a Local significant footy. population. Local footy, junior footy on the Sundays. Yeah. Just wanting to have a bit of a sleep in after a big Saturday. Wait, I'm, I'm still in bed and by <laughs> bloody 12.30 on a Sunday. Come on. So, uh, yeah, there's no need to do anything on Sunday before noon, and uh, that includes the footy as well. So uh, let's mm-hmm. let's keep it at that 1 o'clock. Let's even just, you know, push it back to the 2.10. Let's get real old school with it. And the overlap... You know, everyone nowadays, and maybe somebody's going down to Jared's house and get him his dual screen out or get his laptop next to yeah. his TV, or you can work out a bit of overlap action. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world. And speaking of overlap, this weekend, the five games on Saturday returns, obviously with no Thursday night footy. Mm. Um, and that is, there, there's going to be about three games overlapping each other almost. Um, so with the return of the 2-10 game, um, yeah, I don't like that at all. 
<laughs> too much overlap. <laughs> too much overlap. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're watching, who who is it this week? Um, yeah. Who are we up to? Rounds rounds. Got Brisbane and Fremantle kicking it off at one forty five, and, and then Sydney and Giants at two ten. Well, that's right. So if you're, you know, if you want to tune into the Sydney Derby or whatever they call it, um, Battle of the Bridge. But if you're if you're watching the Brisbane game for whatever reason, they, they pretty much start at the same time. Yeah. So no, uh, I don't like that. No, a little bit of overlap's okay, but not direct overlap. <laughs> there you go. It's a complicated thing trying to impress the fans, but uh, you know the AFL does an okay job of it. Speaking of doing an okay job, we're doing okay job of tipping again this year. Yes. Uh, I'm, yes. In, I'm into the 40s, so uh, not, not bad. bad, not bad, not bad at all. And uh, hopefully our form continues with our fans-eyed previews for round seven. And uh, as always, we'll break it up into our must-watch games, our average but important games, and our tip and forgets. And unfortunately, there's a fair few of them this week. But good news first, Friday night prime time. Ross the boss and his thrilling St Kilda Saints are back against Port Adelaide and they're playing under the dome at Marvel. Are you a believer yet? I'm going to ask you every week until you say yes. I'm not. Gordon, I said at the start <laughs> of the season they will win home and away games, but it's they, they can go the season undefeated like they almost have under Ross Lyon before and same with the Fremantle Dockers and then they cough it up in finals time because that style of football does not stack up. I'd love to chat with a St Kilda supporter. Um, maybe Jake from Saints TV yeah. friend of the show um, in the upcoming weeks but look they were they were extraordinary last week against Carlton no doubt about it they get the job done once again uh, I think that just highlights the flaws um, with Michael Voss's coaching it was structure versus no structure pretty much for me um Big win. Uh, they did it in front of a packed house. Uh, a lot of Carlton supporters, obviously. Um, can't fault them. Can't fault the Saints. Uh, playing really good footy. And again, they go up this week against Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. They'll win this, St. Kilda. Oh, they yeah. will win. It's it's almost it's almost guaranteed. I don't know. The Ken Hinley fact that could come in there. But um, yeah. shout out to content producer, the Shin Boner, who does some really good analysis on his Patreon. You should all sign up. Yeah. I'll drop a little link in the uh, show notes. And uh, he talked this week with about a deep, deep dive into St Kilda. And basically the long story short of it was they are so exceptionally good at finding out your weakness as a team and then exposing it. And so they've done that to everyone but Collingwood, and that kind of shows from the teams that they've beaten that Collingwood is is obviously the best or one of the best teams in the competition, has very few weaknesses, and even then they took them within three points. But, you know, their biggest way of scoring against you is on turnover, turnover differential. They like to play heaps of turnover football. So it is it is very interesting because obviously you know, the joke we've been going with is they park the bus. Yeah. They don't really park the bus. They just don't want to have the football for too long, which is, again, this is this team, if we had to compare to different leagues, and sometimes it's good to, for the football fans, that's, you know, European football, this is Mourinho's Chelsea. Absolutely. You don't want to hold yeah. the ball for too long. And we're not going to. When we give it up, we give it up at that end of the field. Yeah, yeah. And then we defend, and then we defend really hard, and then we try and score one or two goals a game, and then we win. Put yourself in the coach's seat for a second, yeah. order. If if you have been hired at a football club, you're coming up with your own philosophy, your game plan. Do you want to build your philosophy around controlling the football and dictating the game, or letting the opponents essentially have the ball? Which one is more sustainable? No, because they don't. They don't give their opponents the ball either. <laughs> Because they, 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 they just don't want anyone to have the ball. They want the ball in contest 
for the most amount of time possible. Absolutely. And that's and why everyone turns the ball over against them as well. And then they turn over because they just go, well, we don't really care where the ball goes as long as it's going yeah. forward. A bit, a bit of Richmond plus a bit of Ross Lyon in that, that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it doesn't stack up in finals because in finals, I think too much contest or obviously the pressure increases mm. in finals footy. Um, and I think pressure is what breaks down that Ross Lyon game plan Mm. Um, we've seen it in his St Kilda and Fremantle days obviously the ball spends most of the time in their defensive half Mm -hmm. so a team with great small forwards pressure small forwards like your Cyril's Puopolos and whoever it was back then um, they they cause they cause St Kilda and Ross Lyon issues because they, they can't exit the ball as easy as what they would like. And right now they have the highest differential um, in scoring from the back half. Yep. So they they score the most points and they concede the least from defensive um, from their defensive 50 change. So, yeah, small forwards and obviously clearance work is what hurts Ross Lyon St Kilda. More times than not during the regular season, that's why I'm saying they will get up and win. Mm-hmm. But it's in finals, that's when they're going to be tested. So the big thing now is that they can also improve on this too because at the start of the season, everyone was like, they have too many outs. What can they possibly do? They've got this half-field team that you know, mm. not going to be able to stack it up against the best teams in the competition and they've stacked up against the best teams in the competition. And then last week, they went even a step further against against Carlton and they won the forward-half differential. They actually spent time in their, in their front half. They spent time in Carlton's front 50. So that's another little thing they've ticked off the box there. And then... It only needs like you know five percent more efficiency inside fifty because at the moment it is pretty poor. They're not getting any, uh, they're not getting any real value for their for their entries, and it hasn't really bothered them yet. But mm-hmm. if they add you know five ten percent more efficiency going inside fifty, and all of a sudden you got a team that is defensively the best in the competition, forces turnovers like no person's business, plays team first football, and is at least adequate going inside fifty, and all of a sudden that's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Now, are they are they like flag favorites? Obviously not. But they're going to be there. They're going to be in finals this year. Yeah. That's a big step up for a St Kilda side that everyone thought was going to be a laughing sh- laughing show, and you know made a terrible mistake by getting Ross in the first place. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. What does this mean for Port? So obviously you think you're tipping St Kilda, but obviously we should mention Port as well. They've flown under the radar because obviously, you know, they got it done last week against the West Coast Eagles, which is basically yeah. the bye again, unfortunately. That team is cursed. Um, what does it mean for Port? Yeah, obviously another big game for them. Um, expectation is, I mean, they've done well the last couple of weeks. I think they've responded well to a lot of criticism. Um Going into this game, obviously it's tough going up against St. Kilda at Marvel Stadium. What they can um, go into the game with a bit of confidence with is their is their clearance work. I think they're one of the better sides when it comes to scoring from clearances. They struggle to defend kick-ins, so that's something to watch with, uh, with when you're going up against the Saints, obviously, moving the ball from their back half. But if they're strong from scoring from clearances, then that, that, that is one way to attack Ross Lyon footy. So they should take a little bit of confidence from that and hope their midfield is on point um, on Friday night. There you go. Uh, I'm going to keep on tipping St. Kilda until they let me down now. I think 
They are, yeah. They, could, they could be the team of the. They could be the team of the home and away season, and then come finals, that's when our uh, hot takes will really come into fray. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just very interested to see what happens with that St Kilda side when they are, the whips get cracking. Speaking mm. of the whips being cracking, it's the return of the Scott Cup on Sunday. Correct. The early time slot. They've hidden the blockbuster here on Sunday at the early times of the MCG. One ten. Imagine if that was twelve forty. Mm. Very difficult to get to there from Geelong, but it's Essendon and Geelong, MCG, Chris versus Brad. And which team has the better form line coming in? Is it the team that got pumped in the final quarter on the Anzac Day or mm. is it the team that's had the three easy kills to get themselves back into form? Well, obviously, <laughs> coming off a 90-odd point win, it has to be the Cats, doesn't it? Uh, and again, Sydney, who are a pretty good outfit. Um yeah, before that, obviously, they had the two easy kills against uh, Hawthorne and uh, West. West Coast. I was going to say North Melbourne there for a second, but, yeah, it was the Eagles. Um, so, yeah, it has to be the Cats. I'm not reading too much into their 90-point win. At, obviously, it was at Cadinia Park. They play that ground really well. They had their flag unfurling. Uh, they went into that game with so much momentum. They had Callum Mills playing as a key defender. That's it. Um, so many injuries from Sydney's behalf. I'm not using that as an excuse, um, but the Cats were really good at capitalising on their advantages on that game. And, um, yeah, they. I mean, they'll go into this game hot favourites, as they should. I, I think the, um, the jury's still out a bit on Essendon. And they did really well on Anzac Day. It was a cracking game of footy. It all fell apart in the last quarter and maybe just towards the end of that third quarter as well. They just looked like they ran out of gas. So still a bit for Brad Scott to work with um, with this Essendon team. And yeah, this is going to be a massive test going up against a Geelong side in form suddenly and also Jeremy Cameron who seems to be kicking four or five goals every single week and is on track for 100 goals this season. Yes, in which case you'll have to celebrate a Geelong player because that will be one of your dreams come true. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm all for forwards kicking bags of goals and getting to the 100. I want to see that. That's what that's what fans want to see. Um, even Hawthorne fans. Even Hawthorne fans. I respect Jeremy Cameron. He's the best I reckon he's the best player in the game right now. Um, and I'd love to see a forward win a Brownlow medal as well, as I mentioned uh, in that chat with Swoop. So, yes, uh, big test for the Dons coming up. So what did you make of the Dons going inside 50 against Collingwood? Because one stat that sticks out for me is that they kick the lowest percentage of their goals from set shots. Yet so much has talked about, you know, this double tall combo with Draper. And it's like, well, if they've got like this weaponry with all these tools, then how come you can't take marks and you can't you can't just go back and keep the set shot? I think they're missing Peter Wright. That's 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 a big out for them uh, at the moment. Set shot kicking though, um, yeah, it's been an issue for them. I, I, you can't really put a finger on it. I, I don't really have an answer to that. Obviously, that's the million-dollar question, Gordo. But, um, yeah, they'll, they'll want to get that sorted quick, fast. I reckon goal kicking's always been um, a confidence thing in front of goal. So, um, yeah, once you miss a few... They, they just it's hard to get out of that rut a little bit but yeah they, they, they're seriously missing I think they'll be a better side obviously structurally when Peter Wright comes back as well that, that'll help a lot of things taking marks inside forward 50 he carried them at 
uh, at parts last season doing that. So um, he's still a fair few weeks away, though. So they're, they're going to have to sort something out. Yeah. And so the other interesting thing to keep uh, track on the Footy Live app for this game will be the, the shot uh, area selection for, for Eston and how they get um, set up defensively for Geelong because if you look at the game from the Anzac Day uh, game and the shot map, uh, Essendon was basically really, like not allowed any shots within closer than 25 metres of goal. So that will affect, obviously, their, all their accuracy, but especially set shot accuracy. And I can uh, pretty much you know imagine Geelong doing exactly the same thing in terms of their structure and defence and being really good at pushing them further and further out from, from goal. So keep an eye on that one in the app uh, if you'd like. And obviously I think we're both tipping the cats in this one. Mm, yep, definitely. In the Bell of the Scots. And that goes with uh, the history as well. The cats have won 10 of the last 12 against the Bombers and their last four by an average of 51 points. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe Brad's got something up his sleeve. Who who knows? The Sunday Twilight game is our last of the must-watches. It's Adelaide Crows versus the Collingwood Magpies. Yep. Hype is an interesting thing. So a couple of weeks ago, you know, Adelaide was arguably the most hyped team in the competition. We go gather round. They win on the first night of gather round against the Blues. Everyone's mm-hmm. loving the Crows. We all leave gather round. We all leave South Australia. We all forget about the Crows. Are they are they living up to the hype still? As like it's only been one week. Should they be you know considered you know equal favourites here? They're still two dollar twenty three outsiders on Sportsbet. Collingwood obviously obviously big favourites. If they you know take away that last quarter and all of a sudden yeah this game can be a lot closer. I'd let a sniff at home. Oh, the they local. are. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, they had a, a down week in Launceston in terms of their scoring. Um, didn't quite reach the heights of previous weeks before that. Um, but yeah, returning home, home crowd. They they are obviously a dangerous side to be playing at home um, with the scoring power that they do possess. Um, and I think, it, you know, they were challenged by the Hawks, but it, it's a sign of a good side and a team maturing when things aren't going your way uh, that you're able to scrape out wins like that. So it's still a tick for the Crows um, down in Tassie. I think any other year they probably would have lost that game. Um, and what got them over the line in the end was moments of brilliance from their forwards, Isaac Rankin and Darcy Fogarty with those last two goals. So very dangerous side to go up against still. I think they're living up to the hype. This, again, will be a big test for them against the Pies. Two teams that love to attack. Um, Collingwood probably better defensively, so it's going to be interesting to see how that defense stacks up against Adelaide's forward line, uh, tall forward line as well. Uh, In front of that, yeah, hostile home crowd of theirs. Yeah, uh, a very big change from uh, the Tuesday game where obviously... You know, a lot of that crowd would have been Collingwood fans and now they'll be going to a very one-sided affair over uh, in Adelaide. Do you think Adelaide was going to go for the shit-out approach or do they think, you know, they go to more lockdown and focus on defence? Do do, is Adelaide's strength here just to go, let's try and kick as many goals as possible, Malcolm Blight style? Or uh, do they have to be more defensively sound, do you think? Oh, I mean, I reckon they'll go into this game with the same mentality that they did against Carlton. They're going to want to get off to a really good start. I think they they, they would want to put uh, Collingwood under the pump straight away and also scoreboard pressure will be important. So I reckon they'll go into this game wanting to attack. They'll, they'll want to go head on with, with the pies. Um, and that's probably, probably the way to do it. I'm not sure if, I mean, there's been a few teams that have gone up against Collingwood this year, obviously, and um, different things have 
Uh, obviously, they've tried different things and nothing's really worked. Obviously, uh, the Pies, their one loss came against Brisbane. That was also interstate. And what did the Lions do well that day? They attacked. They, they Danaher, the, the key forwards, they, they really stood up in that game and Collingwood just couldn't really um, con- control them. So, um, yeah, I reckon the Pies, uh, th- that'll be a really good blueprint for, for the Crows in this one. Absolutely. And so... Where are you going with this one then? You're going with the uh, the form it's team, tough. Collingwood, Ooh. who are you know winning all the stats when it comes to their around the ball and their outside ball and their inside fifty differential. Or are you going with the most potent forward line in the competition to get it done at home? I'll be back in Adelaide in this one. Surprise! Collingwood have to lose games this year. I think a lot of them will come from these interstate games, but particularly this one. They played on Tuesday. It's a five-day turnaround going to Adelaide. I tell you what, if they do win Collingwood, they are a real force. Um, this will be a huge win on the road for them. Um, and it'll get their confidence right up if it's not already high enough. But, um, yeah, I'll be back in the Crows in this one. At home, uh, again, they came off a pretty good win into state. So uh, I reckon they'll be hard to stop. I think it's pretty hard not to, to back Collingwood, so I'm going to go with Collingwood, and it's mm-hmm. around this clearance game for them in particular. So we saw in the last quarter, yep. 25 points were scored from clearances alone of their 34 for the game. They've won nine games when trailing at three-quarter time over the last two seasons, which is four more than any other side. They just have to be close, and if they're close, then they just go, you know what, we can back ourselves in here. And they've won each of their last six matches at Adelaide Oval, both against Adelaide and Port Adelaide. And the last three wins were coming by six or fewer points. So if, even if it's close, they don't really care. They can get the job done. So until proven otherwise, the Pies can back it up. This is just another challenge they'll have to take on. And five-day breaks in the modern era, everyone's wearing those, you know, super super leggings that, you know, <laughs> pump all the toxins out of your legs. So they'll be feeling fresh as a daisy flying over there on some, you know, big Eddie Maguire-funded jet. No, he's not that person <laughs> anymore, but, he, you know, he's still bang rolls joint. So oh, yeah, he's still involved. He's still involved. He's giving out some freebies here. <laughs> All right, on to the average but important games. And the first one is Brisbane versus Fremantle. It's important because, obviously, I feel like this is a banana peel game for Brisbane. Fremantle are boring. You think Ross Lyon teams are boring? This team is so boring. I agree. This team, you cannot watch this team. Brisbane can light it up. So, really, the easy thing to think about is good. Chris Fagan's team always scores 100 points. They've done it against Collingwood, North, and GWS. So a good team, a bad team, and a middling team. They should just go and have 100 points here and have a crazy win. But Brisbane often also just doesn't show up. That's the only thing that makes me nervous. Are they legit enough to be consistent and just have faith in them and just go tip and forget? Or can Frio... I don't know what Frio has to do because they have to score more than 60 points and it's not going to happen. You have to score goals to win games and they can't do it. They won't do it against Brisbane at the Gabba. No chance. I I think Brisbane, I mean, you have to say that they are legit. I mean, they've gone all out for the premiership this year uh, from the trade table. Um, Yeah, I don't see why why not. They do need to work on their consistency, but when they're at the Gabba, they're going to win. 99.9% 99.9% of their games there. So um, definitely back in the lines in this one. But I agree with you. Fremantle, they're, they're 
they're the worst team to watch in the AFL right now. Last year, they were exciting. For some reason, they managed to um, find a few more goals um, in the first half of the year, but in the back half, I think it started to dry up a little bit. I think that maybe they were riding the momentum wave a little, a little bit. Um, but hot take, Gordo. I reckon maybe they're still feeling the effects from the Ross Lyon days. When was the last time Fremantle were a high-scoring side? Because it wasn't after the Ross Lyon days. You you have to go before that. Yeah. Um, well before that. I honestly, I can't remember. It would have to be... I mean, when was Fremantle ever a really good side? Uh, well, you know, the person who took them to being at the top of the ladder was was Ross the boss. So they didn't score a lot of goals then. They then they had to rebuild because yeah. of the mess he left behind. <laughs> Harsh, I know, but it's true. And this, like, to this day, they are still struggling to kick goals. That they, they don't have forwards. Um, even when they have had forwards in the, over the last couple of years, Tabadar, he's injured now. Rory Lobb, he's left they still couldn't really kick a lot of goals. They couldn't kick yeah. high scores. So I don't know. I can't figure it out. I, I really can't. They've been real struggle to watch for a very long time. Yep. And they'll continue to struggle this week against the Lions at the Gabba. Um, yeah, there's no real stat, fact, or uh, any kind of footage analysis we can give you <laughs> no. that can really make you tip them. So uh, tip Brisbane and move on with your life to the other early Saturday game, and that is uh, Sydney versus GOS at the Battle of the Bridge. Yeah. And um, Sydney, did you put the line through them after they got pumped by 92 points? Because not many premiership contenders get pumped by almost 100 points yeah. uh, in a season. Or was it just a mulligan? Are they just allergic to cats? Uh, you know... <laughs> Like just having too many injuries, like what's there? Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. I was, I was, I didn't think they'd win, but I wasn't expecting a loss that heavy. I think it was a mixture of both uh, injuries and also maybe um, emotion and some psychological thing that they may, may have going up against Geelong now. A bit like what happened uh, with Adelaide and Richmond all those years ago. But um, yeah, it was a strange one. I expect them to bounce back. Um, even if they, they do still have a few injuries, playing at home at the SCG against the Giants, I think this one should be a pretty easy tip. You're going straight to Sydney? Straight to the Swans. There you go. I think Giants are a chance here. They've been really building over the last couple of weeks. And so I suppose that one of the key indicators, especially in this this year's football, has been you know, how easily you transition from your defensive 50 to your forward 50. Mm. And so the start of the year... They were allowing 30-plus percent um, transition allowance. And then uh, since round five and six, they've got that down back under uh, 20%. So it's becoming harder to just walk the ball forward against the Giants. And that's showing on their source ball pressure. It's showing on their outside pressure. It goes back to their structures. It goes back to their you know defensive standards and just like two-way running and all those little things that get you um, into games, hence where they're having a bit more of a, you know, mm. some positive results. And Sydney's been the opposite. They're dropped off, you know, on contested ball. They've dropped off on their outside run. And uh, again, to borrow from David King, he was talking about, you know, plays that you have to get the ball from the inside to the outside. So it's the bonds, it's the danger fields. It was the Dustin Martin of two years ago. It's the it's the day cost in the last quarter, that kind of stuff. Who does Sydney have? Who, do they don't really have an explosive player that can easily transition the ball from inside to outside? So, Yeah, like, I mean, 
probably not at their peak right now, but Chad Warner, um, Errol Goulden, those types of mid-forwards, I guess, are the mm. ones they look to. Um, yeah, in terms of explosiveness, they, yeah, they don't they don't really have that Bond type. They've got they've got the small forwards though. They've got the Papleys that can break a game open. Um, Callum Mills, when he gets going and Parker, they can be dangerous too. But yeah, uh, I, th- I think they're more of a, a unit where you know they share the load a little a little bit. Um, but yeah, the last couple of weeks, I think they've just struggled. Obviously, I think their structure at the moment without the key forwards and the key defenders, they've had to make changes and move plays around and that's probably affected their the way they move the ball from up the ground but um yeah i, I expect like you you touched on the the contested possessions and um getting the ball out i think that's something that can get back when players come back from injury so um it's just a form thing but their, their players are class and um i expect them to respond fairly quickly yeah, well, there you go. And uh, just having a quick look at some of the uh, just match fact stats and uh, one big one here for people on Tip Sydney is that Sydney has led every quarter in 10 of its last 11 games as a favourite. So they win the games they're meant to. They struggle sometimes in those 50-50 games, those outside underdog games. Um, they don't mind bashing up teams they should beat as well. So I think you're probably right here. Don't ever think this. Don't, you know... They love to bounce back after a loss as well as we saw last year. So they'll bounce back after a big loss. They're back home, as you said, and you know the Giants are now being competitive, but they're still not that good. So Sydney should get an easy kill there uh, in Saturday afternoon. Very important game for some, mm. for half of us in this room anyway. <laughs> and I think actually this game will tell us a lot about where two clubs are at. It's the primetime game on Saturday, unfortunately. It's Richmond versus the Gold Coast at Marvel Stadium, so Richmond fans are already nervous about that long trip uh, from (laughs) Flinders Street to Southern Cross. Um, And it does shape as a do-or-die, not only for this season, but I think for two coaching legacies. I don't think either coach will get sacked if they lose this game, and I don't think... You know, Harvick's getting sacked anytime soon. He gets to choose his own exit now. That's what three premierships buy you. But all of a sudden, I think this tells you where you're going. Because if Gold Coast doesn't beat Richmond, then they haven't progressed. Yeah. However, if, you know, Richmond loses to Gold Coast, then all of a sudden you're down with the Hawthorns of the world who are in the rebuild now. Like, if you can't beat Gold Coast, yeah. like, there's not many teams left that you can beat. Yeah. I mean, they do have injuries, Richmond. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but so do Gold Coast coming into this game, though, took Miller. So you, you are right. Like, you don't want to be the loser of this game. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be Gold Coast. Uh, not unfortunate. I mean, I don't care if Richmond win or not. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think this this has to be a Richmond win. They're, they've got pressure on themselves. Um, they'll want this win more than the Suns, I feel. Marvel Stadium, still a home crowd. Hopefully, they can attract a pretty big crowd. Hopefully, the Tiger Army shows up in numbers again. We don't know if they like to travel at Marvel or not. That whole one stop uh, from Flinders to Southern Cross can really uh, obviously hurt a lot of people's feelings. So, um, I, I think they... Uh, yeah, I can't see Richmond losing this. Well, I can't say it either, except when you look at the stats and then the stats start to concern you a lot. So they have the second worst disposal efficiency currently in the league. 
they have only scored 19 points from their forward half intercepts, which is the worst in the competition. They've only scored from 39% of their forward 50s, which is the worst in the competition. They've lost the centre bounds clearance since round three by four per game, which is ranked last in the competition. They conceded 72 points from turnovers last round against the Demons, which is their second worst result this season. Um, and they've lost their last two matches against Gold Coast by by 10 and 2 points so they get into these sucked into these tight clashes more recently against the Suns as well so Richmond's in a world of pain and they're playing a bit of a bogey side I don't I don't like look at that mm. I don't like and Ben King's in form coming off 5 goals yep I just think Took Miller he's he's a big loss for them I think and again shout out to the shin boner because this was the other other little deep dive he did this week was uh, that Miller's role might actually force the, the Suns to play a different style of football that may actually help them. Because at the moment, they're very unique in the way that they play, a very huge focus on contested football, yeah. and that leaves themselves exposed if they don't win it on the outside for turnovers. Yeah. Usually an informed Richmond side would love that. Scrum up turf is usually their thing. Now their one strength is now a weakness of theirs. So yeah. all of a sudden it comes a 50-50 ball game against the Suns. You know, There's not a lot of midfield grunt in there that's super scary about the Tigers at the moment. So... It's a 50-50 game, and I'm almost even leaning towards to the Suns. And I think the Suns have more to, more to win here. And if it was at the MCG, I'd go Richmond, but it's not. So even that home ground advantage point is taken out as well. So mm. Suns could be scoring an upset here, I reckon. Mm. One to watch. There's, there's an upset every week. This could be it. This I, I do see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, maybe it is one to watch, this game. Maybe we should have had this a little bit higher up in the order, but... Well, no, because not must watch. You, you <laughs> I'll be it. tuning in. I'll be tuning in now. I've got myself a little bit excited for it, but it's not <laughs> going to be great. Me into it. It's not going to be a great game of football anyway. It's going to be going to be a low grade, but maybe tight game of football. Yeah, if that's what you're into. Tune in. These ones, however, don't bother. Tip and forgets. Here we go. Saturday Arvo, <laughs> Western Bulldogs versus Hawthorne. I've accused your team of doing this already this season. Yeah, you are micro tanking. You okay. are micro-tanking. Okay. Are All right, Damien Barrett. You are getting yourselves into positions to win. Like, how did you, how did you go <laughs> from, you know, 12 points up with, like, three seconds to go and then all of a sudden, oh, bang, bang, just... goal scored by Adelaide and, oh, we, oh, no, we're going back down the ladder again. <laughs> we tried really hard, but, oh, we let that one slip again. Yeah, I was a bit happy about that, just quietly. Um, <laughs> oh, at three-quarter time, I was like, do I, do I really want us to win this game? I don't know. Um, yeah, it was looking pretty good at one point for the win, but I, I don't think they threw that game on purpose. I think that was just a little bit of a lack of leadership on field and um, a bit of forward line magic, as I mentioned from the Crows earlier. Um, but this will be a Bulldogs win, Gordo. Uh, we're, we're still about two and a half hours away from teams getting announced here on Thursday night. Um, but Hawthorne have announced two debutants, not one, but two. So talk about throwing a game away. They're getting the whole Box Hill team involved. Max Ramsden is in. And so is uh, number one draft pick from last season, Josh Weddle. So two kids, two very exciting talents come in, as will Will Day from his two-game suspension and Mitch Lewis. So very exciting Hawthorne lineup. I'll be watching this one, of course. But, um, yeah, obviously the Bulldogs at Marvel, uh, you have to be backing them. Uh, 100% you have to be backing them. And I believe it's also the Bonds 200th this week, isn't it? Oh, you can write it in then. 
Yeah, so pencil uh, it in. Yeah, two hundred games to uh, arguably the best bulldog ever. If uh, Bevo can't rev up the troops Jeez. for that, two hundred games. Two hundred. How old games. is he? He's like he is 20. not set up very quickly. Yeah, he's like two. He's like 24, 25. Okay, actually no, he's twenty seven and a half. Oh, there you go. But still very quickly older than I thought he was. Actually, I thought he may be in like twenty six, but yeah, just looking at his record here, he plays. He's played almost every game. Mm. every season like he does not miss games of footy in his debut season he played 16 games that's his lowest mm. ever in a season and obviously the COVID year where there was only 17 games but other than that 20, 22, 22 22, 22 19 yeah he, he doesn't miss a lot of games of footy so gee he could be in the running for <laughs> record breaking games well I think he'll be up there I think Nathan Buckley on the radio said he'll be up there Touchwood. with um, Penelbury in like the 350 yeah. club well there you go I didn't hear that, but yes. So there you go. Uh, easy tip there for the doggies. I'll get it done. Uh, hopefully it's not by 200 points. Uh, <laughs> also, Saturday primetime. If there is ever a weekend to go out and do something else that's not football related, yeah. Saturday night is your night because Melbourne's playing North Melbourne at the MCG. Yeah. It's meant to be wet. It's meant to be cold. Mm. And you can bet your bottom dollar that they were, the MCC will not be full. Or if it is oh, full, no. everyone will be in the ball ring. Yes, yeah, um, having their cheese platters. Having their cheese platters and drinking their, uh, their you know, Pinots or Shirazes by Penfolds because this yeah. game will not be worth watching. Yeah. I can't see a Melbourne bed hit here. It's no. going to just be domination. They've been scoring 100 points each week. Yeah. Uh, they're the highest scoring team in the competition. And North Melbourne, as you said to me, the honeymoon is over. Um, they're they're the only team that's worse than Richmond at the moment. So, oh, and yeah. West Coast as well. So, yeah, it's, there's nothing much to look at this game, is there? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, easy Melbourne win. North don't like playing at the MCG and against the D's who are premiership favourites almost, or if not second. But yeah, this will be an easy win, and uh, yeah, definitely one I won't be watching. That's for sure. Another one that you probably won't be watching, West Coast and Carlton, also yeah. prime time. Uh, yeah. This time over in same, the West. Same time as the same Melbourne. Same time as Melbourne North. one. So yep. take the night off. Turn off your chaos subscription <laughs> for one night or tune in to the rugby league. Take the missus out to dinner yep. on Saturday night. Yep. And uh, my only question here is, when Carlton wins this game by 60 points. Yes. How big would the overreaction be? Because I said last week that Carlton will be missing the finals. Mm-hmm. And based on the performance last week, they will be missing finals. Uh, but if they win this game by 60 points, is all of a sudden everyone back on the Blues bandwagon being like, oh, this club's so good. Oh, they play such nice football. Oh, they're going to be a funnels bound. They're a top four side. Love them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, I won't buy into it. I think they were extremely disappointing against St. Kilda, like we touched on earlier. Um, and... I mean, when you go up against the West Coast, you say Hawthorne are tanking, micro-tanking. If you look at West Coast injury list, uh, next to every senior play they've got on there, Shuey, Nick Nat, the expected return is TBA, 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 TBA. If that's not sus... Well, that's macro tanking. That's, uh, that's not micro tanking. <laughs> that's that's just tanking. That's just I, full scale. I reckon they've got uh, 18 spots sewed up, to be honest. I reckon Hawthorne will probably win more games than them this year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to if, – if, even if Carlton win by 200 points, I won't be reading too much into this performance, to be quite honest with you. Um, it should be an easy Carlton win. And if it's not, 
then you then you can be concerned. Then we can start questioning Michael Voss. Oh, if they lose this, you get sacked. Even if it's within two goals yeah. or three goals, the line is probably 30 or 40 points. Anything below that, yeah, I'd be pretty concerned. Yeah, well, the line is actually only 26 points, so people are already concerned. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. And the reason for that is because Carlton's only scored 100 points or more twice in their last 18 matches. Mm-hmm. So they did in the first six games uh, last year, they did it. And then since then, they've struggled to find any points of significance. This might be the kicks out they need. Geelong got, uh, got the Eagles and they went flying into Sydney as well. So maybe this is exactly what the Blues need. Yeah. But uh, as I said, they might be missing finals. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Could be a massive upset on Saturday night. Not likely. But anything can happen. There has to be an upset, as Nick says. And speaking of things that Nick says, desktop decisions is how he ran it every episode when we touch base with the super coach. We need a super coach rank, of course, where you're currently sitting. Did you get the W on the weekend? I had an awful weekend, Gordo. It was... (laughs) Took Miller got injured. The rookies didn't stand up. Um, I, I scored below my average, so around 2,100. It wasn't very good. Um, I'm still in the 1,000 territory. I'm 1,600, mm-hmm. so it's not too bad. I only dropped about 400 places. Need to respond this week, though. Um, obviously, with Miller's injury, uh, he has to go out. Um, so, And I think he's a heavily picked player um, amongst all coaches. So that's my desktop decision. Uh, trade Miller. Br- look to bring in the next best. Again, if you don't have Oliver, get him. Sam Walsh, you know, he's heading into his third game back from injury. He'll definitely, if you, he'll be of some value. Um, but there's a lot of value in defense as well. Sicily obviously has dropped a lot in price. Uh, Sinclair from the Saints has dropped a lot in price. Will Day uh, is rising in price, but he returns this week. So before he reaches a peak price, might be worth jumping on him as well. So, um, and of course, Luke Ryan, he's still at a pretty decent price for what he's scoring. So I'd look to bring in any of those players if you're looking for a defender. So there you go, Gordo. There we go, indeed. And this brings a great opportunity. As you said, heaps of people had Took Miller. Mm. And uh, now. There's room for point of difference. There is. And this is gives you an opportunity between before after every downpour, there is some sun shining through the clouds, just like there is here in Melbourne. We had the wet morning, now we have the sun shining into a lovely sunset, which is a great way to end this podcast. Uh, you know, time for you guys to uh, get ready for tomorrow night, the Saints versus the Power. Get your hot takes ready. Uh, hit us up with our questions, of course. So, you know, best two-year players. Uh, will Carlton make finals? Uh, do you like watching Ross Lyon football teams? And when was the last time Fremantle was good? That's your hit list of homework questions. Uh, hope you, hopefully you answer them. I'll also bring my own answers next week as well. Uh, but as always, I hope your football team wins unless they're playing my football team. And I hope they lose. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.